the American Theatre Wing, and the New York Public Library for the Performing Arts bring you the American Theatre Wing's Guide to Careers in the Theatre. This session, The Lighting Designer. I'm Ted Chapin, and with me is one of Broadway's, and I should say the world's, premier lighting designers, Jules Fisher. Jules, thank you for being here. My pleasure. Um, I thought since we have a lot of ground to cover and some interesting charts to, to go through, I would start by asking um, an anecdote that I've heard that, that, that uh, you have said. Uh, the, w w what I know is it's about so many lights to make it dark, which I thought would be a good place to begin. When I f did my first show on Broadway, I was 21 years old, and uh, I, I was standing in the theater the first day when they were loading all the lighting equipment in, and these m men were bringing dozens of lights off the truck and laying them down on the front of the stage until the stage was full of lights. And the producer walked over, and he saw all these lights on the floor, and he said, why do you need so many lights to make it dark? <laughs> <laughs> and your answer was? Because I do. <laughs> because the darkness is as important as the brightness. And it's the, the, you see the darkness in the, in the shadows between light. It's fascinating. I, I, my sense of lighting design is that there's an, there's an aesthetic side to it, which is absolutely fascinating. But I want to talk a little bit about the technical first. We can sort of get it perhaps out of the way. Um, it would seem to me that lighting, th th there are very practical things about lighting. I mean, you've got to know what a switch is. You've got to know what electricity is. You, I imagine there are a whole series of things that you have to know before you can even contemplate being a lighting designer. True? That's yes, yes. Uh, the aesthetic part is, is first, in my mind, however, okay. and uh, involved with the aesthetic side is how we see. This is both technical and aesthetic. Uh, you have to learn how the eye works, you have to learn how the brain works, and you have to learn about optics, just to be able to know how to see. How do we see? Why does one person see this color differently than another color? So that's important. Uh, then there's the physical side of light involving the optical, which is physics and science. How do you propagate light? Light can come from a candle, a flame, a torch, or it can be made uh, through electricity where we use a light bulb or an arc lamp. So light has to be physically produced. And uh, then you have to manipulate that light. Do we aim it at the stage? Do we put it behind a drop and let the piece of scenery be translucent? Do we put it below in the traditional area called footlights? Is, is that light that we're propagating put into a follow spotlight and the l instrument is operated to follow performers around the stage? But in all, we have to know the, the characteristics of light itself. So that's physics. Uh, the seeing is both uh, optical, but it's also psychological, how, how the brain works. And then the last of those three elements is the aesthetics of the show itself. What, how can light be used to evoke an emotion? How can it be used to express the uh, emotional qualities that the actor is trying to inhabit? And in, in a sense, lighting is manipulating light and shadow. You don't really know the boundaries of light until you see the shadow in a manner that will allow the actor to express the story. It all has to stem from the story. What is the play? The actor is called upon to do that, to read it, to perform it, to emote, but the lighting can evoke a, an environment that will allow that 
to communicate, allow the audience to feel what the play is about. Wow. Um, to go back to the, the beginning, um, to, to learn about light, how much of that is, is stuff that you can be taught? How much of that is stuff that you just have to go outside, go inside, in thunderstorms, turn on lights, whatever? I think it's all of that. I think that uh, uh, you can learn. You, all the things I've just mentioned, mm -hmm. other than the aesthetics, you can learn. You can learn the physics. And the physics is, is I want to say, not, a, not major. Right. You, you don't, it's not great depth. You don't really have to know much about electricity. You don't have to know much about the chemistry of light. Or uh, There's a little bit involved, but not a lot. I, I mean, I, I say that because I don't want anyone to think, oh, I can't choose that career because I would never be able to understand the science. Well, I don't know what goes on inside a light bulb, right. but I know it has it's light. Not, you, you could, you, what you need to learn, almost anyone could learn. I've taught a bit, and I know that it's not hard to grasp it. Uh, I was a poor student and uh, would have failed all the physics courses and, and the science courses. Uh, but I, under, I was interested in the, uh, the nature of, of science and the nature of light, why things happen, not the mathematics. I couldn't calculate right, something, right. but I could understand it technically. Uh, but the other areas about seeing, I think one wants to see as a lighting designer. One wants to observe nature, look at light, look at the sky, look at how light is produced by any source as you walk through your day. Look at the light everywhere. What causes those shadows? Why, when you see a certain color of light, do you feel a certain way? Uh, I think you can study painting, uh, classical oh, painting. Yeah and see a lot about light. How did Vermeer handle light versus how did Monet handle it? Uh, or Picasso. Uh, I think you can study photography, which is all light right. captured in a still. Uh, you can study uh, architecture. How is the building lit? How does the building uh, react in a way to the sunlight or artificial light? Uh, and lastly, I think you can study music for timing, for the uh, rhythms and pacing, which is part of lighting. Because lighting takes place over time. It is not a static picture. Mm -hmm. It is not a single photograph. But it has to move. And indeed, it is the movement of light that's the richness. That's, that's fascinating. I remember a couple of years ago, somebody talking about a set that they wanted to have in, um, influenced by Edward Hopper. And the more I looked at the Edward Hopper photographs, I thought, that's all about light. I mean, what, the, what he actually painted is fairly straightforward, but the lighting is, is amazing. That, that, I mean, I think it can't be stressed enough to keep one's eyes and ears open. D do you find, then, one of the challenges is to see an extraordinary light source and say, I want to translate that onto stage and then have to figure out how to do that? Or? I guess it, uh, I, it's, in, it's in my memory. I think I'm looking all the time at light. I always have. I keep a notebook. I write little, I, I was in an airplane, and on the flight to so-and-so, I saw the the sun come through the clouds as we were rising up above them. And I'll make a little note of that, or maybe a little sketch. In fact, I, I was on an airplane recently, and I saw the uh, rain pouring down on the, on the outside of the windows in the airplane. And I could see in the little droplets, as they were rolling down, I could see an image outside the airplane upside down, because each water droplet was acting like a lens. I thought. I don't know how to use that in the theater right. or if I ever will, but it's in my memory now. So th then at a later point, or when I'm working on a play, I will read the script, I will talk to the director, and I'll think, oh, here's where I need to use I that upside-down picture in a raindrop. You know? That's fascinating. 
Are there, I mean, I, I remember from my, from my youth taking a, an introduction to, to design class that there were certain things we were taught of sort of lights at 40, 45 degree angles and, you know, what footlights do and pink for, you know, is that all past history or, or is, are there still some, some sort of ground rules of theater lighting that, that can be learned fairly perfunctorily? I think there are ground rules. Everything you just mentioned is still valid today. Every single, every one of those, I know where they yeah, came from. Right. And the book and, they came yeah, from. Yeah, they came from the book. Uh, and uh, how we see does not change. Right. Technology is not going to change that. Technology may allow us to have uh, more complicated lighting equipment, but lighting a play, making an actor look right for the part, that's not going to change, it, no matter how much technology we have. If, if Hamlet is going to look quisitive uh, and baffled by the moment, that's not, I think that someone, a great lighting designer would have done it turn of the century as they would do it today. We have more equipment yeah. and more repeatability is one of the things that science has brought us, but not better lighting. Um, the, to, to back up a, a little bit, a, 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 the, the job of a lighting designer, I assume that, I mean, he's obviously one, he or she is obviously one of the important collaborators in, in, in a play and obviously an early collaborator because he has to collaborate distinctly with the set designer and the costume designer. Um, does he come in early on in the process? He or should. Or do you? Do you? Do I? <laughs> yes. I want to come in, on er, in early on the process. It doesn't always happen. Uh, some directors choose to start with just the scenic design. I personally ask the director to allow me to be in on the very beginning. I would like to think, and it's not just ego, that I could make a contribution that will be expressive in the play and say we, we can tell this part of the story with light as opposed to a new painted drop or a new, not, not to, to denigrate the role of the scenery, but it should be a collaboration. Same with costumes. Maybe the way to make that number end is the fact that they turn, the dancers all turn around and they're in different color costumes, as right. opposed to saying the lighting will change or the drops will change. So I think it is a collaboration. And my best experiences have been with directors who were collaborative, who would take from me, who would ask me to be there and, and literally uh, pull things out of me and make me work harder. So I, I, I really don't enjoy Come. being brought in last. Just like just just light this. Yeah, up. right. But it, 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 isn't it true that of those three, does, of, of the the costume, scenery, and lighting, isn't lighting the last one to have been acknowledged as a design uh, world? Yeah, yes. Well, for a couple of reasons too. I think one technologically, uh, historically. There's always been perhaps a background or something you'd call scenery. The performers always wore something. Right. Even, right. right. But before this, the turn of the last century, there was no creating artificial light. Right. You did the show out in the sunlight or with candles on. So the ability to control light is really only about 100 years old. Uh, that's if we date uh, incandescent light, which mm -hmm. is the one that could really be controlled. There was arc lamps only 25 to 50 years prior to that. So I'm talking about 1880, 1890, when electric light first was used in the theater. And now, for the first time, it could be controlled. You could control the brightness. You could control the color. You could control where it would be on the stage, the composition, the form of the light. So the lighting design as a role, as a career, I don't think started until mm -hmm. 100 years ago, compared to scenery and costumes or, or directing. Yeah. 
That's the first reason. And then the second is that as the lighting designer got better and better, the, the, the world of theater realized that light could tell a story in itself, and that, had, that light has great power. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. I mean, I, I, I just keep thinking that can't be said enough, I yeah. think. Um, when, when you are brought in on, on, on an early, early on in a collaboration, and I know there are a couple of people that I've worked with who have insisted from the get-go, Jules is going to do this show or I'm not that <laughs> interested, and I'm sure that's one of those people. Um, when in that process do you start to think about what your design will be, or is it all part of the, an elaborate, I mean, a, a, a changing, you know, collaboration? I, I think I start thinking about the moment I read it. Once I've read the script, uh, it all stems from the script. We're trying to, st and after, uh, the script may give me lots of ideas. Uh, Shakespeare has very few words as far as descriptive words of light. It says day or night. Right. 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 That's about tells it. Tells you one thing. Yeah, right. or winter. Tells, I mean, there are subtle clues in Shakespeare. Uh, time, not just time of day, but season. Uh, as far as the environment. Shakespeare tells you millions of things as far as the, the content. Uh, but it, the second level would be the director's concept, what the director now wants to bring to the script itself. So that's another level of thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, and from that point on, I'm, I can't stop thinking of what I'm going to do. I'm thinking of each idea, how new ideas can be used, or old ideas, or how can I better light this play. And, and when do you start to think about the actuality of lighting instruments, where they're going to hang, how many, and all that kind of stuff? Uh, that comes a little later, and that has to come hand-in-hand uh, hand with the scenic design. Uh, the scenic well, you have to make room for each other, yes, among other things. It is there's true <laughs> collaboration, but it also has to do with the physical space, the theater you're going to do it in. Uh, how many seats are in the theater? Uh, sounds like an odd, odd uh, clue, but you need more light if you have more seats. If people are 150 feet away, they need more light to see. Light is uh, one way we judge how well you can see is based on uh, the square law in physics that light diminishes by the square of its distance. Mm -hmm. So that if somebody is 100 feet away, they're going to need a lot more light than if they're 25 feet away. Mm -hmm. So scale would affect it. The room itself, does it have mounting positions are you, are you able to light mounts in the ceiling, uh, lights in the ceiling? Are you able to put footlights in this theater? Could you ha is the theater deep enough to have backlighting? Uh, do we need projections in the show? Where are we going to mount these projectors? Uh, so there's the architecture, which is not really related to the scenic design so much, but what, what will be uh, allow or be inhibiting in the architecture itself? Then the scenic design. Uh, what does the scenic designer want to do? How is he telling the story? And how can lighting go hand in hand in it? So that's two, two other levels. One is to light the scenery so it looks good right, and right. tells the story. And the other is to light the play so right. the actors look good. <laughs> and hopefully that the end up being the same right. thing. That's great. I did uh, notice, uh, in, I, I have noticed in a lot of theaters recently, you, you talk about positions that there are, it seemed to, to my eyes, anyway, more and more um, new positions created by hanging trusses over the auditorium in Broadway theaters. Is this, am I right that this is a new but thing? It is relatively recent. Uh, it is the fact that we are dealing with uh, somewhat archaic theaters. Uh, they weren't built for, they, they, most of them were built at the turn of the century. In New York, for example, we've only had 
two or three theaters built in the last 75 years. All the theaters were built prior to that. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were built for another era, an era that w counted on lighting to be flat. Uh, plays were done with drops. Now this relates again lighting to scenery. Right. The, uh, the scenery was often flats or drops that came in and out to, in a show, and they required light from the front that was basically flat lighting. Right, from the front of the balcony rail from the balcony for the rail. most part. And only in more, much more recent years did we say, well, the people would look better if the lights were mounted higher. From the front means you will light their face in a flat way, you'll see everybody, but there won't be good chiaroscuro. There won't be the modeling of a person in light. So that we, uh, this early books that you were referring to, yeah. uh, said, what if we mount the lights, or we should mount the lights, approximately 45 degrees to ourselves? So if a light is in front of me, it also wants to be 45 degrees vertically and 45 degrees to the left or to the right. That would allow an object to seem most plastic. Uh, if it was a, a sphere or a cube or an actor, he, that object will seem most three-dimensional by putting a light right. in those two, the corner of a, of a cube, which is 45 degrees to the left or 45 to the right. Now, that's a basic uh, principle in, in stage lighting, but it's absolutely valid. And uh, people say, oh, well, I learned that in college. I don't need, to need that anymore. You do. It's still true. That's what's going to make a performer look good. Mm -hmm. Now, we alter that based on the play. Does this play need it to be uh, more scary so I would like to have a higher angle, so people look a little more less inviting, a little more frightening perhaps. Or do I, instead of 45 up, maybe I want to go 45 down so the lights are below and be like ogres or scary with deep shadows in their face. So uh, that's just a starting point, yeah. the 45. And the, the theaters were not built for that at all. They were built for lights on the front of the balcony and some lights backstage. And modern times, we want to put light anywhere that's going to light the play well. So in, re in recent years, people have been hanging structural trusses in the theater, architectural trusses, metal devices that we could hang in the ceiling. And theaters have vertical booms of light in all the box boom positions where right. people sit. And you go to a gorgeous theater like the Belasco <laughs> or a gorgeous theater like the Colonial in Boston, and and amidst this Rococo gold right, you can't wall, you see these pipes of black lighting instruments. Right, right. Quite ugly in that sense, but they're needed to light the black. So many instruments to make it dark. Right, when yes, the, when exactly. the light goes out, it, it's great. Uh, we have some charts, which I'd, I'd, I'd love to get to now, because th this is basically when you, when you do light a show, and this I think we have one for, for ragtime. Um, after you've obviously, uh, I mean, the script is being developed, the show is being developed and all that, and, and comes a time when you have to put down on some kind of paper what it is that you've done, right? So let's, let's so we look first at this. I want to save that one till sure, later because that's, sure. that's sort of the, the end. So here's, here's a lighting plot for Ragtime. This is a typical drawing that every show would need to mount their, to execute the lighting. Let me go back a step, yeah. uh, because this looks like a complicated drawing, but it's, it's, it is just a chart of symbols that tells me and the electrician who has to mount this equipment, there are now you have to bring technicians in right. to put it into the theater. Uh, although when I would do a play off-Broadway, I mounted all the lights <laughs> myself, and I was very happy. I didn't right. know that I could have other people do it. Uh, but each one of them, each one of these symbols, represents a type of lighting instrument. 
And uh, there's a key actually over there right. where it says symbols. And there's a different symbol and it describes right. what that light is. So the process I go through, or all lighting designers go through, is after reading the play, we take the first moment of the play and it says, the actor steps out in front of the curtain. And I might say, how do I like that? I would like to have a follow spotlight come on from the rear of the auditorium and put a big circle around him so he's on stage in a vaudeville show, let's say. Right. So I say, okay, I make a note, I say I need a follow spotlight and I'm gonna put it at the back of the house. On a piece of scratch paper, not this final drawing, I draw in this symbol, which is a follow spot. And it says, uh, follow spot booth. There, it's done, that's that right. symbol. And I do that for every single light on this drawing. So if I need a, a backlight to the, this performer who's got, this is, this drawing, by the way, represents the plan of the stage. Right. It's as if you put the scenery, these, all these other lines, these horizontal lines, gridded lines, wiggly lines, represent scenery. And this is the average space of this theater. Right, and I, can I assume that these that are at an angle are actually going up? They're vertical. Right. That's a method of representing, a, the, the, there's another shaded light. See that little shaded right. mark? Yeah. That's the true elevation of that light. If, let me lay this down. Yeah. If this is the plan of the theater, right. and this is the footlights, and the audience is out here, these lights are on poles here, here, and here. So on the drawing, to indicate this pole, I turn it like that, because you can't draw right. all the lights <laughs> right. on a dot. Right. So now I can draw every one of the lights. Oh, I see. So these are that? That's exactly I right. see. Okay. Th this group of lights is this, this is that one, and that is that. And, it's, and there's words for it. I mean, so this, yeah. what looks like a complicated drawing, slowly becomes simpler. If you read them, it says, one tower left. Right. That's where, it, that's where it'll mount in the theater, so now the technicians know how to mount it, and that's what's mounted on it. And each one, again, is a light. So I said I wanted to backlight this performer or sidelight the performer, so I'll pick uh, a certain type of light, and I'll mount it here. And I put that down on my chart. Right. And I do this on a yellow piece of paper or scratch paper until I've got all the lights down, and then I transfer it to this big drawing. Now, most of these are, look fairly simple, but I noticed that there are a couple of what look like fairly complicated ones. Are, are these the Vera lights, so the, the new kind yes. of light? Yes, that is. Explain those a little bit. Uh, this was a, a giant leap in technology that's only come about in the last uh, 15, 20 years. And let me, uh, let me go back also to mention there really are only two major technological changes in the last 100 years. From the, uh, when lighting became a, a craft and an art form where we could manipulate light, as I say, just prior to the 1900, uh, light could now be turned on, you had a light bulb, you could connect it to a socket and a dimmer or a rheostat, and you could dim the light on. Now we had control of it. In the, in the court era, when people had plays lit with candles, they, the candle was either on or off. <laughs> and uh, if you wanted dark, you had to, someone had to go out and put the candle out. And then you had to have someone else relight it. Well, now we have a light bulb. Mm -hmm. As simple as that sounds, we can turn a knob remotely, we can put the controls somewhere else, and this light will come on and off as we'd like it to. Uh, we, these became more sophisticated, the light bulb got put in a box, a lens got added to it, a reflector, we could now put a color in front of it so we could color it, we could shape it by making a special light that would do that. But each light 
could only do one thing. If you mounted a light above the actor's head and you said it was going to be red, you put a red color in it, and I have this book of, of what Gels. were called gel colors that we pick from, and we, I would pick a red color, number 42, let's say, put that in there. That meant that that light was red all night long. <laughs> if I wanted that light on, it was going to come out red, and it was going to come out as a cone of light falling on the floor. Uh, so to have more versatility and more opportunities to change the lights, they invented a, a device to change the colors of the lights in the form of a scroller. We could now put multicolors in the lights. Uh, but the big advance was, that, that is, that's an mm -hmm. advance in itself, but the big advance was to have control of the intensity of the light that was memorized. And that happened only 25 years ago. Prior to that, we had dimmers, big racks of knobs. Up that, uh, electricians could push the knob up or down, and the light would get brighter or dim. And that's how shows were lit up until 1975, when electronic boards... This, and I'm thinking right. of the professional theater. Right, there were some other, ex right. other examples of that. Radio City Music Hall had an electronic board in 1936. Wow. Uh, but not very portable. And uh, But w was it successful? Did, successful. They, did they use it clear it's through? It's been used right up to this, uh, well, up until a few years ago. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> That's great uh, to know. But the modern electronic board was first used on Broadway in 1975. And uh, that board now could not only manipulate the lights up and down at the push of a button, as opposed to many humans pulling handles, and you could only pull as many handles as your hands could reach. Uh, now we had a, a, an instrument, a control board, operated by a computer that could literally control any number of lights. It's limitless. Uh -huh. So you could have five lights on it or 500. And this control board could do very complicated cues. So before the human, you could ask the human, I want you to have this light come get brighter and this one get darker. That took two hands. Right. That was it. That was the extent <laughs> right. of his power. So your light cues were limited by the number of hands, which was affected economics in the theater. Nobody wanted to pay 10 electricians to do this. Well, the electronic board now enabled you to control many lights, and every single one of them could be moved independently. So one light could be getting brighter and brighter, like the skies, the sun is rising. That could be set to happen over three minutes, while another light is blinking on and off like a traffic light out in the street. And all of this happens at the push of a button. So the big main technological advance of science is the computer-controlled dimmer board. But the second one, and what you were relating to when you looked at one of these yeah. moving lights, was the invention of automated computer-controlled lights. So the same light that I said earlier could, first of all, only have the red color in it and point straight down, now could be motorized. Mm -hmm. So the light could pan or tilt or move in any yeah. direction. We can change its color. We can change the beam size of it. We can change how soft or hard edge that light is. And all of this is memorized. So now we can program that light to do, to, at the top of the show, to light that actor. But three minutes later, it could follow the actor as he walks to stage left. And then a minute later, it could fade out and come up on the king's throne upright. So now one light can mm. do what hundreds of lights had to be employed before. But, but they're all programmed by a computer. Therefore, I mean, you can push a button, and it goes to its program, and it can stop, and you can push another button. But basically, at some point in the technical week, you have to program. 
at some point, an artist has to come in and say, I think it's a good idea to light that throne at this moment. Right. And that's what the lighting designer does. So even though these two huge technological uh, advances have happened, it's not made the lighting designer's job less, it's increased it. Yeah. So yeah. in fact, this is a question that always comes up is, why does it take so long to light a play? And it's now taking longer than it used to. Well, the answer is that in the earlier times, we had less lights to control and less choices to make. If I had this single light that's over the head of the actor. It was red, white, or blue. <laughs> red, white, or blue. And it's on or it's not on at some degree. And I, could, I had control of the timing. I could say it came on in three seconds or off in 10 seconds. But that was the number of choices. Uh, now, I, I have to go to every single light, or not necessarily mm. every, but many of them, and make many choices for every lamp. But what it does give me is a, a much greater control. I can now have the subtleties of motion that was unthinkable before 15, 20 years ago. And another factor is it's repeatable, which is valid, very important. Uh, if I'm going to do something so complicated, oh, you can. it'll happen again tomorrow night. Right. And in the older days, when humans were relied on it, you said I could train an electrician to bring this light up very slowly as the, as the dawn is coming. And I'd say, you know, just near the end of this, get a little faster so it has a little right. bloom at the end. Well, the next night he may forget that. Right, right. Or his, somebody his, else may come in and do it. Somebody else comes in. Now it's, it's absolutely repeatable. That's great. That's great. So the, an electrician will take this and know where everything has to be hung. and He just follows this right. drawing. Now, there are a couple of other drawings, too, that, that, that are, that are uh, important as well. As I say, these are mechanical or tools, uh, in, uh, visual aids for all this. Uh, but all plays or musicals, or puppet shows or operas or ballets, need this kind of drawing to execute their lighting. This is a section view. Right. Which is, and uh, this is looking at it from stage left. Right, so audience out the here. Audience out there. In fact, the, that little dot represents the first row of the first person sitting in the theater. So those lines are, represent sight lines, what he can see or, he, or she can see on stage. Oh, interesting, too, that all the scenery that's hanging has to be higher so he won't, he won't yes, see, see stuff. Yes, you see how it's all staggered up? Because yeah. you don't want them to see the scenery that we haven't used right, yet. Right, right. Keep the surprise. Exactly. Keep the surprise back. So this now shows what, what was drawn on the other drawing as light pipes, right. linear rows of lights. And, and we talked about the vertical ones. Right. Well, the linear rows of lights are now drawn here as cut in half. I that see. is looking down one of the linear pipes. Right. And the vertical ones we talked about are now right here. I said there was number one tower, number two, and number three, and there they are. Is there any reason why these towers are a certain height? No, that's my choice. Depending on how many instruments you want in there. And exactly. And just out of curiosity, what are these people here? Uh, the, the, in this, this was for the musical Ragtime, which was lit by my partner and myself. My partner, Peggy Eisenhower, we've been working together now for 15 years <laughs> and do everything together. Uh, this was a bleachers that came out for the baseball number. Right. So we wanted to show that the bleacher could fit between these two packs of lights, technically. So we drew in the actors as if they were sitting on the right. bleachers. That's, that makes sense. Just because if, if their rear end was sticking out, they might get hit by that light as they go past it. And also, if this is for a tour, then, then portability is something that's important. And also, um, regularity, since it's going to go into a lot of different theaters, right? So that this wants to be as simple as it possibly can yes. be for that. And these three towers hold all the side light. And they can be, 
this device is about, this is, shows it as 14 feet high. That can be tipped on its side and then rolled into the truck. Right. And we ship these with the lights in place and has casters built on the side of these towers. So they're just rolled into the truck, brought in, and could be set up. This whole show can be set up in, I think, about 14 hours. Which in this day and age is astonishing. Very fast. And I know, I mean, the producers always want them to be loaded in as quickly as possible. What's the third the, one? The last drawing I brought is uh, just to show you a detailed drawing. For a show, we do dozens of these. This shows some detail mounting of those horizontal pipes. And again, they're trusses. Uh, that are meant to come apart in sections and roll into the truck. And uh, these lights get stored with the truss in the truck. So this is the front truss, number one, number two, and number three, and the show only had three of them. And are these drawings done by computer or by hand? Uh, these drawings are done by computer. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. So the, every, every one of these instruments is exactly the same. Computer-aided drawing. But there, am I right in saying that some of these are more old-fashioned lighting yes. instruments? Yes. Th these represent Fresnels, right. uh, a, a theatrical spotlight based on the Fresnel lens. Which is diffuse, right? A, a diffuse, soft light uh, that's used in searchlights. And uh, uh, lighthouses have a Fresnel lens. That's the light that spins around. So we use that type of lens in this instrument. It's a Fresnel. Has an accessory called a barn door, which is just a device to keep light from spilling where we don't want it. That's indicated on this drawing. But it shows exactly how to mount it. We show the spacing required. And these in the middle are the robotic ones again. Mm -hmm. uh, so that just points straight down, but during the show it can point anywhere. Uh, when, when I see those, those instruments following actors on stage, is that all been pro programmed or is there any follow spot operation possibility for those uh, robotic lights? The ones you've seen in almost all cases are pre-programmed into it. Uh, indeed, the light is not following the actor, right. the actor is following the light. <laughs> so you fooled me. <laughs> you fooled me properly. <laughs> and what is, this, what is this chart? Uh, this is a device uh, or a plan or drawing or whatever that we use in the theater to aid ourselves to remember all these lights. Uh, I couldn't remember the number and channel or control channel. So if we want a light that, again, that actor who walked out at the beginning of the show and was lit by the follow spot, I might also want to light him with a front light. And this little drawing says these lights in, in a control channel number one, two, three. And that's sort of where they're plugged in the that's old terminology? They're yes, so they're plugged into dimmer number one. Right. Dimmer number one is just like the dimmer you have in your kitchen. Right. You turn the, and the lights go on or off. Well, we happen to have, in this case, up to 424 of them. Bigger so, than my kitchen. Bigger, yeah. <laughs> and uh, therefore, it would be hard to remember all those. Uh. So uh, I have worked out a system, Peggy and I have done this, of illustrating, turning into... Uh, little hieroglyphics that tell us what the lights do, where they're aimed, what color they are. So we can see that this channel turns on a light, I wrote here A, A means stage left to me, B is getting closer to center, C is center. So, so that I know now if I want a, a light in the center that's from the front and it's pink, then I turn on number three. I see. And if I wanted the footlights, I have a little picture here uh, you can see of a foot. Right. And if I wanted the blue footlights, I go to channel number 205. Oh, that's, I and see. And that's how I do it. So this is just a little uh, ideogram, I guess, to say, to find the lights. Now, I, I assume that when you're, when, when you're in the theater and the lights have all been hung and it's, it's focus time, 
um, that's when this is absolutely imperative because when yes. you're still, you know, you, I mean, you have in your mind what the lighting design is, but now the reality of it sits in and you have to make adjustments and all that kind of stuff, and that's where this is key. This is like my glossary. Right. I can look things up, uh, including if you see on this side are colors. Uh, nowadays, I said lamps can have multiple colors in them, so if we pick uh, uh, a moving light or a scroller, it has this range of color. So I know that if I call up number 363, I'll get this. But I have actually included it here. I don't know if you can lift this to see you see through it, that the yeah. colors are right on oh, yeah. this chart, the actual colors that we use. And they, these are pieces of these individual gels that I've put into this book. So and are those ones that come pre-programmed pre into the lights, or did uh, you decide which ones? These are ones that we picked for the color scrollers. It's a mechanical device that makes a long scroll, literally one, one of these glued to another to another. They're scotch taped together oh, good. to make a long roll. And then a motor turns them. So if I tell it to go to channel 402, it'll go to this shade of pink. If I tell it to go to 375, it'll go to that shade of blue. So it's just, a, again, through numbers, I can pre-do it. Now, the interesting part of the automated lights, uh, these new robotic lights have infinite color. You no longer have to pick a shade of blue. I can dial in any shade. I can put up a color blue and say, you know, I'd like it to have a touch more green. Or, you know, and now let's make it a little darker. So you, you can manipulate the color so there's literally an infinite number of colors available. So to be able to choose those while I'm lighting a show is what takes time. Right, sure, too many choices. Yeah, too many choices. You, you mentioned earlier Peggy Eisenhower, who, who was your, your partner. How did you come to partner her with her? Uh, well, I had, I had uh, never had a partner before uh, where we lit, lit shows together. And uh, I went to uh, Carnegie Tech. At, I, when I went there, it was Carnegie Tech. And I went to lecture there and at a time when it was now called Carnegie Mellon, a wonderful university that teaches drama. Right. And she was a student there. I met her at the time. And years later, or a few years later, she came to New York and knocked at my door and said, I'm, I'm interested in working with you. So I said, well, you could. She came at the moment when I could use her as an assistant. And we worked together. And very quickly, I realized she was brilliant. <laughs> and I thought, well. I might as well work with someone who's going to make my work look even better. So we became partners. Well, and I think in, in that, um, you, you have, have touched on some important things about education and training. I mean, Carnegie Mellon is obviously one of the good places in this country where people, if they're interested in lighting design, should, could go. It's an excellent school. Right. There are many uh, drama schools. In the, well, first of all, there are many liberal arts schools one might go to. And I think uh, a liberal arts education is very important. You want to learn about life. You want to learn about living. You want to learn about art. You want to learn about every aspect of, of the world to, to utilize as a designer, as a human. You, what we're doing in the theater is expressing emotions. Right. And if you can't get to your own emotions, you're not going to be able to do a very good job with others. So uh, <laughs> good point. I think it's good to study everything. Uh, and therefore, there are schools that are general liberal arts schools that may have no theater school or no drama department. Then there are those schools that have drama departments and will teach a general education of theater. And then there are some more specific schools, Carnegie Mellon is one of them, that not only has a drama department, but you can major in lighting, or you could major in scenic design. It has a whole division related to that. There are a number of other schools like that. 
And, and also, you're going out there then as a professional back to your alma mater to talk, and obviously Peggy, as a student, um, showed initiative right. to, to talk, you know, to, to yeah. say something to you, and then to have the initiative when she came to New York and knocked on your door. Do you get other people knocking on your door these days? Uh, all the time. Yeah. Uh, people send resumes, which is one of the ways to get a job. Uh, and if I, it, very often I have someone who is an assistant and we will work with that same person year after year. If they're really good, we want to hold on to them. Part of it is training. We train them to work your style on my style, so you don't want to lose them. Right. And the good ones we hang on to. Uh, but we do get resumes, and we, we also go see other people's work. Uh, I, will, I see a lot of theater. I believe part of the educational process is to keep seeing things, to see... It never every, ends, in yeah, other words. It doesn't end. Um, how much of this stuff that we've looked at w was helped by assistance? Uh, all the drawing, this CAD drawing or computer-aided drawing, was done by an assistant. Uh, I'm a little sad because I, can only, I don't even know how to do this. <laughs> That's uh, okay. <laughs> I, I can only do it with a pencil. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I, so I say sad only because there's some beauty in drawings. And uh, there's a, if you look at really good drawings, uh, the scenic designer, Peter Larkin's drawings, are works of art. Not meant to be, but his hand is so uh, beautiful that it is a, uh, in my view, a work of art. Even though it may just be a construction drawing of how to build the flats, right. uh, his hand is very good. Uh, and I think there's a little lost in the computer drawings that are being done. And that is, again, an aesthetic sense. Uh, I try to say to people as we do the, even the computer drawings, have you balanced it on the paper? Is it in the right place on right. a piece of paper? Right. You know, right. Wouldn't it be more aesthetically enjoyable to look at if it was centered or off-center to balance something else? So I'm interested in, in the aesthetics even of the high-tech drawings. But uh, assistants have done that. Assistants do the, uh, a lot of the paperwork, keeping track of things, uh, when we use certain lights, how we use them, uh, again, I'm into the repeatability. Repeatability is important because the lighting designer leaves the theater when the show opens. There's no lighting designer there. It's now done by electricians. Because it becomes, it becomes a technical job of, of keeping it maintained. Of duplicating something. And uh, frankly, with almost no creativity. We're not asking the technical personnel to contribute a new idea. Right. each night. We don't say, you know, if that actor walks faster, we'd like you to make the lights more exciting and, and operate them faster. Exactly. We don't want that. We want to make it precise. No improvement, No improvement, right. exactly. Uh, so uh, we, want, we record everything very accurately. Uh, what the follow spot person does is written down to the last inch, to the last single movement, the color, the size, the intensity, so that if that person leaves, and they do, they go on vacation or they get sick, Someone else can come in and read exactly what the first person did. Same with the actual light cues, the electricians, stage managers work, the focusing of the lights must be maintained. So assistants keep track of all that. And you as a lighting designer get paid a fee, and then do you also get an ongoing royalty? Yes. The, the, the standard, in, in I'm referring mainly to the Broadway practice, mm -hmm. uh, is that we get a fee that pays for our design and creative the input to the show, but it's not that large that you can live on it very long. Right. And by the time it opened, by the time the play opens, I may have worked on the show for three months, four months, five months, uh, and uh, you've, you've used up that 
fee. So we're paid a, the, a union. I'm a member of the United Scenic Artists Union, which represents scenery, costumes, and lighting designers. Uh, and the union now demands that every member get a weekly royalty, a minimum amount per week. Uh, if you are uh, more successful or in demand, you ask for more than the minimum. Right. I mean, all union rates are considered minimum mm. numbers, whether you're a musician or an actor. Uh, and in the, as a designer, I will say, look, I think my time is worth more than that. I'd like to be paid twice the minimum amount, let's mm. say, as a weekly royalty. Well, and I, I get paid that as long as the show runs. Right, and I think, I think you deserve that. Yeah, thank you. Um, when, when you have designed and when you have instrumented this and done these things, um, obviously it has to go to a, I mean, there, there's a shop that has to provide all the technical stuff. Um, what's the next step? Uh, I, we, in our shop, draw, or in our studio, we draw and draw uh, exactly where the equipment goes, we make lists of the equipment, how many instruments we need, what the colors are, everything they have to purchase. We also have to design the scenic electric. There's a lot of lighting often built into scenery uh, or built into costumes. Right. In the case of Christmas Carol uh, in New York at Madison Square Garden, there are uh, right. costumes that glow and light up and have flash bulbs in them and things. And so we specify that. We then give that to the costume designer right. who builds them in. So we, dr we specify the lighting. Uh, it's done in a form called a shop order, mm -hmm. which is literally a drawing, a piece of paper with hundreds of instruments written on it, given to a shop. They estimate the cost of renting it or building it or you know, fabricating right. and uh, give it to the producer. The producer says, okay, I'll buy that right. or I, wanna, I want that much equipment for my show. Then the uh, shop delivers that equipment to the theater. Electricians install it based on the drawings you just saw. Uh, we then sit, after it's all in place, we focus each light or aim it or get it adjusted properly. And then we sit down with the director the, and the performers on stage alongside of the collaborators of costumes and scenery. And we bring the actor out and light the first moment. And the actor stands there and unfortunately <laughs> for too long of a time, well, we adjust the parameters of these hundreds of lights <laughs> and say, okay, that looks great. Let's go to the next moment. And you do that moment by moment till you've gotten through the whole play. Do people still have to go up on A-frame ladders and, and, and f focus lights from on, on high? Uh, the non-robotic ones. <laughs> right. Uh, the robotic ones, no one has to go up on a ladder. Right, right. We push a button and the light goes where we want it. <laughs> I still find that astonishing. <laughs> you have a studio now, which, uh, which I assume to mean that, that you do more than just theater lighting. I, for whatever insecurity I had when I began <laughs> in this business, I uh, uh, said, I don't know that I can make a living doing this. I was doing nothing but off-Broadway shows, and they paid very little. I loved doing it, but I didn't make a lot of money. So I, I started two other businesses at the time, very early in my career. Uh, one was to design and uh, for new theaters and, and renovate old, to act as a consultant, a theater consultant, to help make better theaters, to do to provide for an architect or a theater owner a design that would allow the theater to function well. Right. When people build... On, on all levels, on all not levels, only lighting, not but Not just lighting, levels. but uh, scenic handling devices, sight lines, sound systems, lighting systems, uh, orchestra pit elevators, how thick is the floor, what, it is, what is it made of, what are the dressing rooms like, 
uh, how does the, a musician get into the theater? Where does he hang up his coat? Where does he put his musician each night? And how does he get to the orchestra pit? Seems pretty basic, but I don't think an architect necessarily thinks of that no, stuff. No, just, just as an architect might not know about landscapes right. consulting, or if, a, if an architect does a, uh, a restaurant, he might not know how to actually make the kitchen function. Right. So we'd bring in a kitchen consultant. So in theater consulting, we help them, architects and theater owners. Oftentimes the director of a theater may know what he wants it to be, but we can help focus his ideas and say, you know, after, after we listen to that person, we might say, you know, you don't really want a grand opera house. Mm -hmm. You want something for musical comedy theater. Or you don't even need that. You really want to do plays. So let's build you a theater that will accommodate that. But to give you a simple example, uh, the, the floor on a stage is different for each of those types of theater. If you have a grand opera, you have to have a floor that is stiff enough that can allow huge pieces of scenery to roll out. So the Met has a much stiffer floor than, say, the Metropolitan Opera, yeah. has a stiffer floor than the State Theater, which is for ballet. They want a floor that's springy, that can take dancers moving up and down. So just that alone is a tiny technical specification that we get into. That, my company is called Fisher Dax Associate. I have a, a partner of many years, Joshua Dax, and we go around the world helping to design new theaters. That's fascinating. That's one. The yeah. second business is uh, architectural lighting. It was an adjunct of what I did in the theater, and I started again many years ago with a partner, Paul Morantz, and we started lighting buildings. <laughs> that must have been fun. Yeah, and it still is. Yeah. And in that end of it, we do everything but theater lighting. So anything that requires lighting, a restaurant, a hotel, lobby, ships, uh, parking lots, outdoors, indoors, we light anything that's not a theater. And that's just my other business. And what kind of things are you working on in that department now? Uh, well, we did the lighting for the renovation to Radio City Music Hall recently. We're working right now on a renovation to the Hollywood Bowl. Uh, we are doing the new theater for, uh, so theaters all over the place. A variety of yes. things. And last, I mentioned also, just because it's fun, yeah. we have been doing lighting and theater design for ships. Many of these cruise ships in the last years are building elaborate theaters within the ships. So we're... Uh, are the, bu are the budgets pretty, uh, pretty nice for Huge. the ships? It, it, only in the last... Uh, years ago, you got on a ship and there was a room where a band played and you <laughs> right. danced in right. a low-ceilinged... Uh, hallway. Uh, now the theaters have full fly floors, elevators, machinery. Uh, the most recent ones seat 1,500 people. <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. And we actually, they're actually paying some royalties for some of the shows they're doing yeah. there yeah. from time yeah, to time. <laughs> um, what advice would you have for, for students who think that they, lighting design would be something that uh, would be intriguing to them? Other than live and keep your eyes and ears open, which I think is key. Uh, go to see everything they can, see all the theater they can, see how people light shows, learn, learn about theater, uh, see how people light shows poorly. You can learn a lot from seeing someone do something wrong. Right. Uh, uh, I said about finding about life, study, learn about all the other aspects of art, I mean sculpture, photography, architecture, what have you. And then, uh, depending on how uh, compulsive you are, or how aggressive you are, because uh, you, you can make a living lighting a play in, in most cities now in the country, 
But if you really want to uh, work full-time, there are only a few number of cities where you can do that. Los Angeles, Chicago perhaps, and some others. But New York is the mecca still. There's more theater being produced in New York than anywhere else in this country. So if you want to be employed more often, New York is yeah. the place to come. You've lit some films as well, have you not? I've not actually lit a film. What I've done is to light uh, musical numbers or numbers in a film. I see, in so theatrically sort of. I've done, yeah. in, in the movie A Star is Born, I did all the lighting for the concerts. Right. I'm working on a movie right now for Paramount. Peggy and I are lighting two hip-hop rap numbers <laughs> in, a new in a new movie being done, directed by Richard Benjamin. I also noticed that you have, you have some producing credits, and I wondered how they came to be. Maybe a little off to the side, but... Uh, yeah. uh, in uh, 1971, I was working on a, a play uh, that reached a point that it wasn't going to get produced because they ran out of money and they didn't quite know how to get it off the ground. And the play was Lenny, directed by Tom O'Horgan, mm -hmm. uh, written by Julian Barry, and uh, I, it was going to fall apart. And I thought, you know, I, I could do this. I could help make it happen. So I went out and raised money, and I became the producer. Uh, this was kind of by accident. I enjoyed doing it. Uh, and I have produced since then seven times, but only when I was really passionate about something. I don't want to be a producer to be producing every week. Mm -hmm. uh, only when something hit me or I came to, was it brought to me or I generated myself, when I said, you know, this won't happen as well if someone else does it, so I want to do it. Uh, I got to do Dancing, which Bob Fosse directed, uh, and uh, I've worked on a couple productions with Graziella Danielle that she's directed. Yes. Uh, so I've, in all, I've done seven, and I have nothing at the moment that I'm producing, but I may read a play tomorrow that will excite me, and I will. Well, I, I certainly think that, that if there's ever a definition of a, a, a man of the theater, you, you are that person. <laughs> I mean, it's an extraordinary career, and I want to thank you very much for coming and talking to us. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks. The American Theater Wing's Guide to Careers in the Theater is a project of the American Theater Wing and the New York Public Library's Billy Rose Theater Collection, Theater on Film and Tape Archive.